The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. We're in Judges this morning, Judges chapter 4, Judges 4. Something on my heart today as I thought about uh, who I was speaking to and where you're going in life and how God wants to use you. It's amazing to me the comments that have been made already in chapel that dovetail right to what's on my heart today. God has something special and let's see what it might be. Judges 4 verses 1 to 3. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. When Ehud was dead, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Herosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. Look at verse 15, same chapter. And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak. So that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Herosheth of the Gentiles. And all the hosts of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Now, you know what happened to him? He ends up in Jael's tent, and she put something in his mind he had never had before. And that's the end of him. So God gave them a marvelous, wonderful victory against people they never thought they could conquer. 900 chariots is a lot. And they're not just chariots. They're chariots of iron. But God gave them a tremendous victory and they praise him for it. Chapter 5, look at verse 1. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves. All of chapter 5 is a song. It's a praise from Deborah and Barak to the, the mighty God that had done this tremendous work that had to come from his hand. It was not possible any other way. And they sing praise. And it, it's a long list of people that came to the aid and thanking them for being there. And boy, they did this and boy, they did that. But among all the thankfulness, we find something quite disturbing. In verse 23, we read these verses. Chapter 5, curse ye, Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. For whatever reason, this one village, Miraz, hung back, did not come. Was it... uh, Far enough away from the battle, she was in some safe, remote valley and assumed the battle would never reach her. The summons to come and send your young men to help us fight was sent and nobody answered it. By the way, this is not just a condemnation. Look at the word bitterly. Curse ye bitterly. Bitterly is a word that means to feel great loathing for. By the way, who's doing the talking? The angel of the Lord. God is saying, I I curse ye bitterly. I loathe the fact that when it was time to come and fight, you wouldn't show up. The village is gone. However, the passionate contempt thrown at her remains to this day as a testimony. Mirai is an example. All the New Testament is an example for us. This example is to those among us that would be willing to let others fight the battle for them. 
willing to let others bleed even though you benefit from the victory as much as anyone. It's a strange thing to me and how sad it is to me how few of God's people are actually engaged in spiritual struggle in their own life so they could gain victory to help someone else gain victory in their life. This this village of Miraz, I don't believe they had any ill will toward Israel. I don't believe they hated Israel. They They had no negative comments concerning the people or the leadership. They just had a willingness to let somebody else face the trumpets of war while they lived in safety. I am so thankful. I am so, so thankful for a Christian liberal arts college where you can come and be trained in a vocation and at the same time filled with a vision from God as to how you can use that vocation for his glory. God has called you here to prepare you to serve him. And here's my comment today, regardless of your major, God's called you to serve him. During my 32 years here at PCC, I was disturbed. And and since I have gotten away and and heard things, I'm, I'm disturbed to hear the criticism of this ministry based upon this terrible misconception that if you are not in full-time Christian ministry, you're not in service to the king. The failure of this village was nothing more than a lack of action. They gave no aid to the enemy. They simply did nothing. We hear much about the danger of wrong thinking, which leads to wrong action, but there's another danger, the danger of not thinking and no action. The, The Bible states that he that hath the son hath life. What a great declaration. He that hath the Son, not he that is called to full-time Christian ministry, but he that hath the Son hath life. And that life that you have is not your life. It's in Christ. And he lives through you and you live in him. Those that know Christ have a life that others just simply do not have and were called by God to live that life. The work of Christ becomes our work, no matter what your major is. God's tasks are our tasks. God's goals are our goals. God's battles are our battles. No matter what your diploma is going to say. Gratitude to Christ ought to cause us to shake off the veil of why am I here and declare that we are ready to do whatever work needs to be done. What prevented Miraz from coming? What what caused these people to just hold back and not answer the summons to the battle? Let me give you some possibilities. One, fear. We respond violently to anyone who would call us a coward. Uh, we, We don't like that word. It would make any man's blood boil. Walk up to anybody you want to. Total stranger is best. And walk up to him, look him right in the eye and say, you are a coward. And then run. <laughs> and I, I'm not thinking of physical cowardice, but moral cowardice. See, we live in a world that holds us in contempt and it's going to get even worse as the days come. And they communicate to us and about us in very hostile and derogatory vocabulary. Here's my question to you. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid this world's going to do to you? They already detest you. They already ridicule you. They already crucified your Savior. Don't expect him to be your buddy. Do, do we really care for their praise and their acceptance to the extent that we would lose 
somehow our peace because of it. Realize that to fear or be cowed by, into submission by a contemptible population is cowardice without a cause. Cast that to the wind. The God that you serve is greater than the loud voices today that deride him and deny him. God didn't send you here just to get a vocation. He didn't send you here just to be trained to go earn a living. He sent you here because there's people out there that you're going to come in contact with because of the vocation he's called you to that need your voice. Miraz saw the signal fires. They heard the trumpets. They just didn't come. What were they thinking? Were they thinking, who am I? What, 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 what can I, what can I do? I, I, I don't know that I can do anything. I know you're not going to be made brave by an argument that convinces you the thing you fear is a foolish thing. The only thing that will make you brave to stand for your Savior is that your knowledge of his ownership of your life. You're his. You're not yours. We're his possession. We live to glorify and serve our king. He said, he'd proceed. We said, he said look, I'm going to give you power. I know you can't do that. I'm going to give you the power to live for me. And he did. He said, he said, those that follow me will do greater things than I did. And you can. Only by loving God and fearing him, only by letting Christ love through you can fear be defeated. Why did Miraz not come? I think they were just, just afraid. Secondly, False humility. I, I see this as a, as a small village. And, and humility is, is a good thing when it takes away fleshly pride. And, and let me warn this generation, I, I, and, and, I, and I love you. Let me warn this generation. You cannot do this just because you show up for work. If, if I see something in this generation that scares me, it's the idea that because I'm there, there will be success. That's not true. But if you believe that, you're counting on you. And I'm here to tell you, you don't know this yet because many of you haven't failed yet. You know when God will use you? God's going to use you to the fullest extent when you fail in the area of your greatest strength. Then God will use you. God wants to fill you with himself, not with you. Please don't, please don't think that because you're here in college, you're getting trained, you're getting a great, a great education. By the way, you are getting a great education. Have you watched people try to talk on TV lately? Most of them can't put a sentence together. You're, you're getting a great education here. Don't leave here prideful in what this college has put in you. Leave here happy that Jesus is in you. And he will use you the way he wants to use you. False humility, be careful of it. A sense of weakness is good in our life because it will drive us to the real source of strength and that's God in us. But if a sense of weakness causes you to believe, it makes no difference whether you openly represent God or not, your humility is false. Perhaps that was the problem at Miraz. A small village may be poor, possibly very insignificant. They saw the signal fires. They didn't come. What were they thinking? Who am I? What could I do? What strength can I add? What terror would I inspire in the enemy? But when men hide behind a perceived lack of ability, they content themselves with doing nothing. Many of you believe you can't do much. So there's really not much you're going to do. 
But God wants to do much through you. You may think your words have little weight and they not be spoken. They desperately need to be spoken. July 19, 1970, I walked to an altar at a little bitty center block Baptist church in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. That night, I had no idea what God would do with me, no idea at all. Had I known, I would have run. Several years later, in a tall, grassy field behind a motel in Bristol, Tennessee, after going to a Bible and bus conference, I surrendered my life to service. And I got down on my knees in a dew-filled, a dew-filled grass, and it was wet, and it was cold. I just told the Lord, I, I'm yours. I want to do whatever you want me to do. I give my life to serve young people and serve you and, and help them in, in their life. I had no idea what God would do with me, no idea at all. And, and you're sitting here. You don't know where God's going to take you. You don't know the doors he's going to open. You don't know the magnificent things he has in mind for you. You don't have the right to sit there and say, God doesn't have magnificent plans for me. He said, I know my heart toward you to bring you to an expected end. What do you know of God's sovereign desire that would give you the right to say your life has no bearing on the eternal destination of somebody else's life? You see you, but you do not see or understand the wonderful manifold power of God. Or his desire to use the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. Your weakness is the best opportunity God has to show himself strong. It's not your opportunity to allow yourself to feel weak. False humility is the product of too much emphasis on your personality and your flaws. Not enough focus on the power of God. The call to service and surrender to service will draw you out and it will put you in the crowd that does come and help the Lord when the trumpet is blown. There's another possibility of why they didn't come. Expectations. But perhaps they believe the work of God would get done without them. When you feel nothing's expected of you, that's exactly what you do. You sought God's face. I hope you did. You sought God's face and you went to him and said, as a high school student, I don't, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know where to go. I don't know what you want me to be. If you want to start a long, open-ended conversation, ask a sophomore in high school what they think God wants to do with them. I did it for years teaching at the academy. Student would come to me. I said, what do, you, what do you think God wants to do with you in your life? And you'd get this cross-eyed look. They really hadn't given it any thought. You did. You got down on your face to God one night and you said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to be? What do you want to do with me? And God brought you here. And God gave you a vision of whatever it is he wanted you to do with your life. And you need to understand something. That is every bit as clear a call as the man that says, I'm a pastoral major, I'm a missions major, I'm a youth pastor major. God, if God called you and brought you here, he's preparing you. Not so you can go out and be an engineer or a nurse or a policeman or an accountant. He called you here so you can be a Christian that affects people in those areas. And he's called you and he's training you and it's with a very, very powerful purpose in mind. You're no less gifted. You're no less called. You're no less empowered to serve than is the pastor or the youth pastor or the Christian school teacher. The blood of Jesus Christ didn't redeem them more than it redeemed you. 
Those in full-time Christian ministry have always been in the minority. The cause of Christ has depended upon everyday Christian for centuries, and that's never going to change. You need to be God's dental assistant, God's accountant, God's police officer, God's engineer, God's nurse. Excel in your field. Don't just go do it. Do it better than anybody else does it. God says, I've given you life, and I want you to live that life abundantly. Go be everything you can be in what it is that God's called you to be. Be noticed. Be promoted. Be always striving to be the best you can be for God. And then when the spotlight is turned on you, you get to glorify God that called you and is using you in the field he chose for you. You're not a lawyer, a dental assistant, a nurse, an accountant, an engineer that happens to be a Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be a lawyer or a dental assistant or a nurse. I believe God raised up this college for such a time as this. Please understand something. In this day and age, when church attendance is in rapid decline, you may very well come in contact with more lost people every single week than your pastor will. A 2021 survey of Americans exposed the sad truth about where America is spiritually. Just 22% of Americans attend church at least once a week. 22%. One in five attend church at least once a week. 31% say they have not and probably never will attend church. One in every three people you will come across and you'll contact them, whatever vocation God's called you to, may have never been to church and is completely and absolutely biblically illiterate. And you will be the epistle read of those people. One out of every three Americans do not believe there is a God and they do not believe there's a place called hell and God has called you to be a light in the darkness and keep those poor, lost people from ending up in a place they don't even believe exists. There ought to be in your heart, as, as a young person training for service to God, a sense of outrage in your heart. Every day you live a life, a life not spent, not spent expending your energies to the glory of God. After the resurrection, Jesus was seen by a lot of people. New Testament tells us in, in, in one particular meeting, he was seen by 500 people at one time. Lots of people saw the Lord after his resurrection. These people were promised the power of the Holy Spirit to teach all people, even unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts chapter 1 tells us that after the ascension, after he went back to his father, a group of people met in an upper room. There were 120 people in that upper room. 11 of those people were apostles. Can I put it this way? 11 of the 120 were full-time Christian workers. The rest of the people in that upper room were merchants, potters, fishermen, carpenters. And in this day, many, many women who had no vocation other than being a good wife and a good mother It was these people 
that turned the world upside down for Christ. Boy, does God have you in a good place. And boy, does he want to do wonderful things with you. And as America and the rest of this world gets colder and colder and darker, and as church attendance goes down and down and down, there are going to be people that are going to come to you because of the vocation you're in, and they need God, and that is exactly why God brought you here, and it's why he's training you, and it's why he wants you to live an abundant life in Christ in whatever it is that he's called you to do. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. Thank God for pastoral majors and youth pastors and and music directors and Christian school teachers. Thank God for you. You're no less needed. My point today is, I don't care what your major is, your call is the same. Glorify him, lift him up. Work hard, strive, be the best student you can be here. Soak up everything you can soak up. Stretch yourself in your vocation. Get every honor, every award, every certification that you can get. Stand out, shine, show this world the power of God in an everyday, ordinary, blood-washed Christian. And God will use you in ways you could never ever in your present imagination even conjure up in your mind you're in a good place America desperately needs you may God help you to be everything he's called you to be may God help you to catch a vision that you're not just whatever You've been to Calvary. You're called to serve him. Go show this world what God can do with you. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.